Welcome to Cornerstone Reformed Baptist Church. Thank you for using and sharing our resources. What you're about to hear is God's Word from one of our teaching elders. We trust that God's Word will inspire, instruct, and bless you. For further teachings or information on our ministry, please visit us on our website at cornerstonerbc.com. That's cornerstonerbc.com. Well, brethren, we, we continue this week in the story of this very interesting character. The twelfth of the judges in the book of Judges, Samuel is his name. We're two chapters in and we have two chapters to go. There's four chapters that are committed to this Sam, Samson. What did I say earlier? Did I say Samson? Good. To, committed to Samson. Four chapters are committed to him. Now, if you're familiar with Samson, and I suspect that most of you are, you're probably familiar with this man's character also. If this is the first time, or you, you, you read the text, or you, you spend any time in the text, even the first two chapters that we've already considered has given you a very good inclination of the character of, of Samson, has it not? And you're starting to feel maybe that he's a little bit of a, a, little bit of a shady character. He's some, some qualities that we just don't feel real comfortable with. But that's okay, you may be thinking. We're only two chapters in, another two chapters to go. Surely some of the more brighter qualities will start to shine through as we work our way through those two chapters. If that's what you're thinking, then I'm sorry. You're going to be very disappointed because this is what he is. It doesn't get any better for Samson. In fact, it gets a little bit worse. We know this man, according to what we've read and what we'll continue to read, is his... He's quite flawed in his character. We know already, and we'll see as we move on, that he is self-centered. He's self-absorbed. He's hot under the collar. He's disrespectful, dishonorable. He's a man who is arrogant. In, in a word, he's a man who follows the desires of the flesh, it seems. Pretty much the same as the people of Israel as a whole at this point in time. You remember a few weeks ago how I said, as we work our way deeper into this book, we will find ourselves going through spirals, and Israel seems to experience much of the same, but, but it's going to get deeper, and it's going to get darker. This sin is going to get deeper and darker. It's going to get uglier as we move on. Samson is number 12 from 12, and, and it, gets, it gets pretty ugly. And, and Israel is in a very dark place right now. The, the spiritual condition of Israel, her spiritual state, is absolutely woeful, we will come to see. It's a scary state. It's a darkened state. It's a state of a people who have covenanted with the Almighty God, and they've put themselves in such defilement and rebellion that it's even hard to read sometimes. This is the state of the people of Israel in this moment. And the best way I can summarize who they are or, or the, the, the condition of their, their hearts as a collective would be the last words in this book. You might remember them. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what is right in their own eyes. They did what was fitting according to their eyes. Of course, that is according to how they saw things. And, and that's to say they did what is fitting according to the inclinations of their hearts. 
We, what we see fit is what we will do. Never mind that they've covenanted with the Almighty God. Never mind that they came out of Israel as a people and they've experienced the mighty hand of God in His faithfulness. Never mind that He's given them covenant stipulations and those stipulations are contingent and the blessings are contingent upon obedience to the law of God, the commands of God, the statutes of God, the rules that He's given them. Never mind that the greatest privilege for these people is the relationship they have with an almighty God. They put that to the side and said, we will do what we want when we want. This is the state of the people of Israel in this moment. Never mind the curses that God had given through Moses in Deuteronomy, the latter chapters of Deuteronomy. Those curses that when you and I read them should, in fact, give us goosebumps. Never mind. This is the state of the people, but we can sometimes understand that, right? We can sometimes understand the collective are going through deep darkness. They're, they're getting deeper into, into sin and rebellion against God. And what we're seeing take place is, is the curses, some of the curses that God promised they will have. But that's the people. Surely the judges are a little different. Surely the judges will walk according to the stipulations and the commands and the covenant of God. Surely the judges would be different, are they? Put your eyes down, if you may, on verse 1 of chapter 14. It's a chapter before the chapter we just read. Verse 1. From verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah. And at Timnah he saw one of, his daughter, one of the daughters of Philistines. Then he came up and told the father and his mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as wife. But his father and his mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of the re your relatives or among all the people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Verse 7, then he went down and talked with the woman and she was right in Samson's eyes. Samson, she may have been beautiful, attractive. Some of your translations. But that doesn't make her right. She was forbidden territory. Forbidden territory. And Samson didn't care that she was forbidden territory according to the law of God, according to his parents warning him, hey, you shouldn't do this. But the only criteria he could see in his heart to make a decision was her external beauty. The fact that she was a Philistine meant nothing to this man. But you know what I'm going to say next, I suspect, because there's two things happening at this point in time, side by side. Because although Samson seems to be rebelling against what is so clearly God's law, we're told in verse 4 that God's hand was in it. And so this language can sometimes make us feel a little uncomfortable We know that Samson is rebelling and breaking the, the covenant command not to marry a forbidden pagan woman as stipulated in Deuteronomy chapter 7. He's violating that command, expressly a command of the Lord, even going against his parents, as I said before. And what makes us feel quite uncomfortable is the fact that God's hand was in it all. Samson is sinning on the one hand, and when we're told that God is in it. So the question that comes to most people's mind at this point in time is, is God complicit in the sin? 
No. No way. No, no way, beloved. He's sovereign over everything, yes. But God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. So the way we need to understand this. He's sovereign over all things. There's nothing that happens in His universe apart from His decree. He doesn't sit back passively. We don't think of it that way. He doesn't simply sit back passively. Everything takes place according to his decree. He's passive in his universe. He's not, a, he's not sorry, he's, he's active in his universe. He's not passive in his universe. So to say he just sits back, back, back and just watches things happen apart from his decree would be wrong. And it's not the way scripture teaches who God is. And yet... And yet, even though Samson is sinning by taking a woman that is forbidden according to the law, and the Lord God never ever commands anyone to break his law, because that would be sin and rebellion against him. And even though Samson is doing that activity, God can be in it, and yet free from all defilement and any sin, none of it attaches, it remains perfect and pure and holy and good and righteous and just in all of his actions, even though Samson is sinning. It's the only way we can understand, beloved. Actually, does that make your mind bend just a little? I hope it does because it makes mine too. It's a very difficult mystery because God is intimately involved in this universe of his and yet and yet we must never, the Bible never gives us permission, not even on one occasion, to allow any of the stain of sin to, to be upon the only true God of the universe. And if it, if it actually makes your mind bend, then welcome. You're in good company, I think. But that's how we understand. I think the clearest passage is in Genesis chapter 50, when the brothers of, jo of Joseph, after the death of Jacob, and they come in fear, and they think that, that Joseph is going to somehow, because he's the second in power of all Egypt, which is practically the world at that point, and they're afraid that Joseph will somehow enforce vengeance upon them because he knows exactly what they'd done. You remember what he said? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. So you actively planned evil in your heart, and you're going to give account before the Lord. You're going to give an account before the Lord because of your motivations, because of the disposition of your heart, because of your hatred towards me, Joseph would be saying. However, in that, your hands are stained and they're guilty. In that, God meant it for good and his hands are pure and righteous and are undefiled. And it's good in all of his ways. Beloved, as we've seen already, Many of Samson's desires were rooted in the flesh, and many more will be rooted in the flesh. The lust of his eyes, uh, the taking on the, the Philistine girl who was forbidden, the anger in his heart, we'll see more of that. Uh, his, his, his desire to avenge, to revenge, because his own ego was wounded. And yet at the same time, we read that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him to give him power to defeat the Philistines, even though his own heart was in the wrong place. The Lord empowered him to do the work. Not because he was a righteous man. Don't you think that for a moment? Because he was a flawed man. But because God had predestined to deliver Israel at this time from the grip of the Philistines. And the instrument that he has chosen was Samson. That's it. That's it. Listen, 
in a word. God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. And I think that's what we're seeing here. It's a mystery to our eyes and our minds and our, and our hearts, but the scripture says it and God's people believe it. But it's wonderful because he gets all the glory and no glory is given to man. Back to the story. So I'll go through it really quickly. The text tells us that, that Samson was, was angered by the whole betrayal thing. You remember the riddle he gave at the party? And, and he knew that no one's going to... Who would find the answer to that riddle? No, no one's going to know. He told his wife or his wife to be. And, and after whinging for several days, and then the Philistines find out, and he's quite angered by the whole ordeal. So in his anger, he goes out and kills 30 of the Philistines. He, he takes off their garments and then he, he, he fulfills the debt that he, he owes these Philistines. But then, in a fit of anger, he abandons his wife. And he returns back to daddy's home and mummy's home and leaves his wife behind. So some time passes and we don't know exactly how much time has passed, but we know it's the harvest, the wheat harvest. That's, that's here in the first verse of our chapter. And he decides to come back. I need to come back. I, I actually haven't consummated my marriage with this woman. Okay, so he comes back only to find that she has been given to another man by her father. He says it was one of his companions. Maybe, perhaps, it was his best man. I don't know, but it's someone he knew. Now, we can't really blame the father for that, can we? I mean, all we know is that Sam, Samson, he stormed out of that place. It's not exactly like those communication mobile phones to say, hey, I'm, I'm just going to let off some steam. I'll be back in a couple of weeks or a couple of months. But, but keep, keep her there. She's mine. There's none of that. He just leaves. And the father has his, has his daughter here, and the preparation for the marriage and every, the wedding and everything is done, so he can't let that go to waste. So he gives her over to one of his, one of his friends, and, and that doesn't go well with Samson. The father knows it, so the father doesn't want to cross Samson because he probably at this point knows the ability and the character of this man. You don't want to cross him. So he says, look, Samson, I have another daughter. She's the younger one, and she's more beautiful than the other one. Fathers, if you have two or more daughters, that's not how you father your kids. That's a, that's a, that's a bad thing to say. But that's what he says, and Samson doesn't buy it. Samson doesn't buy it. So he's angered, angered. And he, and he vouches avenge, to avenge what has just taken place. So what does he do? He wants to make the Philistines pay. So we're told he captures 300 foxes. And that's a big deal. Imagine carrying or cap capturing 300 foxes. It's an incredible thing. And he ties them with a torch, ties them by tail, puts a torch in the middle. So they, they're in pairs. He lights the tails and he lets them run like wild into the, into the farmland, the Philistine farmland. It's a bit queasy for the animal lovers. But this is what's taken place. So you've got 150 fire torches scattered through the farmland of the Philistines. And, and wherever they go, they're leaving a trail of fire. And of course, it's not long before they drop dead and their fire and their bodies burn up. And wherever they are, it escalates the fire. I'm sorry if I'm being a little graphic. And beloved, we're told also not only the wheat. Remember, it's, it's the harvest, so the wheat harvest, the stacks of wheat, the stacks of grain also burnt down. And also we're told olive orchards. 
Listen, if the Philistines were absolutely furious at the prospect of, of losing a bet that would cost them 30 garments or change of garments, imagine their heart's disposition now on losing God knows how many acres of land of wheat, their stacks of wheat, and even their olive orchards. I'm told it takes between 7 to 10 years for, for, a, for a piece of land, fertile piece of land, to become an olive orchard that produces a decent amount of crop. All gone. All burnt to a crisp. So it's understandable where they go. They go back to his meant-to-be wife and the father and they, they burn her. That's what we're told. And Samson's angry and he vows to avenge. And he does. And he does. And it's all part of God's plan still. He's avenging because his ego was wounded and at the same time, it is the Lord God who's with him. And then he vouches to, once he's done that, and, he, and, and the terminology here of how he does it, it's a bit difficult to understand. It looks like maybe he's, he's stacking the bodies one by one on top of each other or something. I can't be sure. But then he vouches to, to go and to spend some time in the cleft of the rock and he, in a quiet place and he goes and he and, and he's... He just wants to be separated from the world, it seems. But he won't be separated for long. Because it's not long before the Philistines begin to wreak havoc on the people of Judah in a place called Lehi. They, they have a raid there against the people. And when the people of Judah who were like surprised, it seems, the text seems to suggest they were quite surprised because why have you come? We haven't got a qualm with you. Why are you doing this? They, they ask, we have come up to bind Samson, the Philistines say, to do to him as he did to us. Hear that? To do to him as he did to us. Samson practically destroyed us financially. We're coming to destroy him now as well. We, we want to revenge what he has done to us. So the Judah, the Judeans, then gather themselves, 3,000 of their own men, and they go to, to Samson. And when they get to Samson, they, they speak to him and they say, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? Samson's response, As they did to me, I have done to them. Did you, did you hear how the response of the Philistines is the same as that of Samson? They said, we've come up to bind Samson, to do to him as he has done to us. And Samson says, hey, 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 brothers, my Judean brothers, I've only done to them what they have done to me. They're both seeking revenge. Both hearts are full of revenge. I think it's prudent to say at this point that every judge in the book of Judges, no matter how flawed he is, every one of them in some way points to Christ. Every one of those judges points somehow to Christ. And if we're going to say they point to Christ somehow in their own character, can you imagine the injustice or disjustice? What's the word? Injustice that you're doing to Christ. Beloved, the way they point to Christ is in the function and the purpose for which they were called. And they, every one of those judges was called to deliver God's people from God's enemies or the enemies of his people. So in that, yes, they, they do point to Christ. But as far as character is concerned, they're worlds apart. Here you have Samson saying, this is what they did to me. I'm going to repay them the evil for evil. 
And yet of Christ we're told in First Peter, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to God who judges justly. The only example in human history of a straight line drawn with a straight stick, Christ is righteous in absolutely every way. The story goes on, the men of Judah, 3,000 of them, Vow not, to, they vow not to harm um, Samson. They say, yes, we're not going to harm you. They bind. They say, we're just going to bind you up and we're going to hand you over to the, to the Philistines. And they send him down. And when they get approached the city where the Philistines are all encamped, we're told the power of God, the Spirit of God comes over Samson and he breaks the ropes as if they were nothing, as if they were flax burnt by the fire. And they were absolutely nothing. Brand new ropes are broken just like that. And the Lord empowers him and he, and, he, and he finds a fresh jawbone of a donkey and he grabs it and one by one he begins to hack at the Philistines, killing a thousand men. Now, beloved, there's a lot we can talk about at this point. We can speak about the defilement that he, that he put himself in by touching a dead animal, fresh dead animal according to the book of numbers numbers chapter 6 in fact that tells us about the nazarite vow he's actually just broken the vow and everything that has taken place before is null and void he needs to go shave his head and start again we can talk about that or, or we can talk about how the lord god humbled this man in that once he did kill he was absolutely exhausted killing a thousand men absolutely exhausted parched in thirst recognizing apart from god doing something to bring him water then and there he's going to die this big, strong man who had the power to just kill a thousand, probably covered in blood, knows if he doesn't get a sip of water, he's going to die. And the only one that can help him is God. And he cries out to God. Or we can talk about what takes place in verse 18, where he absolutely acknowledges that all he is is an instrument in God's hands because salvation is of the Lord. He doesn't say it in the same terms as Jonah, but that's what he means in that verse in verse 18. In a state of humility where he recognizes that what has just taken place is the power of God and I'm his servant. He calls himself a servant. I think that's the type of faith. It's, that's the faith that got him into Hebrews 11. That he still, he still believed that it's by the power of God that salvation comes. With all his flaws, he still believed in some way, small faith, but he had faith. But I don't want to end with that. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to address those points. I simply want to end with this. I want us to go back to verse 11. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etham, or Etham and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? This is Judah. This is the mighty tribe of Judah that was meant to go into battle before all the tribes and take it to the enemy of God, the enemy of the people of God, to embrace the promise of God that when God is with us, who can be against us? The promises of God are upon us. He's covenanted with us. He promises to bless us if we obey and our enemies are nothing before our eyes. Who can stay his hand? Who's more powerful than this almighty God? They're supposed to embrace the promises, apprehend God for all that he is and go towards the enemy with faith. Yet here we see them cowering. They succumb to being overpowered by the enemy. 
They succumb to being dominated and ruled by a pagan nation. Prisoners in their own land. They're okay with it. God sent them a deliverer. Sure, he didn't look like a glossed up person. His character had many flaws, but there's no doubt that God was with him. And they must have known it. You know how I know they must have known that God was with him? They must have known because he's one man hiding in the cleft of a rock and they send two people, three people, five people, 3,000 men. They sent 3,000 men to approach one man. Is that not overkill? They knew. And you, the power of God must have been on this man. And yet, and yet they cower under, they blame him and they cower under the oppression of the Philistines. They've been oppressed by evil. And the Philistines on the one hand were oppressing these people for many years, 40 years. Not quite 40 at this point, but in total. And on the other hand, there's a deliverer that God has sent to deliver his people from the grasp and the oppression of the Philistines. And they choose... They choose which way they want to go. They choose to to grasp at Samson and say, we're going to bind you up and we're going to take you to the enemy. We don't want what you have to offer. We're going to grab you and we're going to bind you up and we're going to give you to the enemy and we're going to let the enemy kill you. Why? Do they still, do they really want to be under the rule of the Philistines? Are they enjoying this enslavement? Are they really okay with the status quo, the way life has become for them right now under the oppression of this pagan evil nation? They're actually okay? Samson, stop making waves. We're going to give you over to these people and they're going to kill you and we're going to go back to normal. What is the normal? In darkness? Oppressed by evil? And that's okay? The deliverer that the Lord sent them They bind him up and sent him to be killed, to be crucified. Beloved brothers and sisters, what a vivid example of the plight of fallen mankind before us. And an amazing example of the incredible grace and mercy of God upon mankind and his infinite love upon his people they're steeped in darkness bound by depravity in the heart corrupted in every single way fully dominated by the powers of darkness and when presented with the grace of god in and of themselves they say no thank you we don't want it that's the plight of mankind fallen mankind in such darkness, in such deception, eyes are so blinded, no matter how wonderful the grace of God is, no matter how wonderful the gospel of Jesus Christ is, no matter how strong your plea and mine is, to come out of that darkness, to believe upon this Savior, this Deliverer, this Redeemer, not a flawed man, a man flawed in character, empowered by God, but a man impeccable in character and righteousness, the one who's the very epitome of all that is good and all that is righteous and empowered fully by the Spirit of God. He had the Spirit of God in full measure that means according to john chapter 3 that means there is no more to be given it was the embodiment of the spirit of god and he comes to this earth 
in all His glory and in all His splendor to bring redemption to a darkened state, to a sinful state. And everyone in and of themselves says, thank you, leave us, we enjoy the status quo, we're okay, thank you very much, send him away, crucify him, crucify him, let his blood be upon us and our children. They're undeserving, but God doesn't act because they're deserving. The actions of God are not contingent upon your faithfulness or mine. Or anyone else's for that matter. Because they bound him, this Samson, and sent him to the Philistines to be killed. And yet God empowered him and gave them victory over the Philistines. Not because they're worthy, but because he's good and merciful. You'd think at this point that God would be so offended, he'd say, you know what? I'm done with you. But he can't do that. Because he, in eternity past has united some in his son and he's promised to redeem them. He's promised. And this Jesus Christ has come to the earth to bring God's people and redeem them by faith, by grace, through faith. Opening the eyes of the blind to give sight to where there was only blindness. To bring salvation to the soul. To break through the the deception that is so strong, a deception whereby someone can stand back and say, but we're okay. We don't need, we don't need this. You've, you've offended the Philistines. They're our rulers. Get out of the way. Stop making waves. Leave us in our sin. Leave us in our darkness. We don't need you. And that's the response that every single man, woman, and child will have towards the Savior of the world apart from God. Hear this invading their soul and invading that darkness with his brilliant light in order for those, for those um, the, the, the scales to come off the eyes and for them to see him in all his splendor and all his glory, to see the redemption is found in him, the filth of their own selves and their own uh, lack of righteousness and their worthiness to be under the wrath of God and yet by his grace and his mercy he gives them sight to see and faith to apprehend aren't you glad aren't you glad that God is not a respecter of persons beloved that salvation takes place only and solely in our Lord and our Saviour Jesus Christ let's pray